Today we continue in James chapter 5, uh, James chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 7 to 11, James 5, 7 to 11, as we draw to the close of our study of the book of James. And so uh, let us look to see what James is instructing believers about today. Uh, and as you get there, James 5, 7 through, 7 through 11, uh, how is your patience? Are you a patient person? Would others say, would others describe you in that way, right? Because we probably would like to say of ourselves, oh, yes, I'm patient. And then other people might snicker or go, mm-mm, you know, do that, do that head nod, head, head shape thing, right? Uh, we certainly live in an impatient culture. We shouldn't be surprised, perhaps, that we are uh, at times impatient because we live in an impatient culture. We want everything and we want it now, right? Uh, when we order something online, uh, right? We want it in our hands immediately, at the very least on the next day. And if the package is delayed for some reason, right, we begin to get upset. We begin to, to fret and worry. Oh no, what's happened to it? Right? We want things immediately. When we go to the restaurant and we order our food, you know, how long is it really before we start fidgeting and wondering where the, the waiter, the waitress is, and looking around, and I'm going to ask her. The next time I see her come by, you grab her, because I'm going to ask her, where's our food at? It's already been five minutes, right? We want things express, quick, fast. And what about as it pertains to the coming of the Lord? Uh, what about the Lord's return? Are we impatient? Do we perhaps consider God's inaction to be a sign of laziness, neglect, injustice on his part? Now, we may not characterize God's in those terms, right? But, but there's something, we, we mean something about our impatience. Uh, our impatience means something like that, I think. When we attribute to God inaction... When we're impatient for the Lord's return, perhaps uh, we are attributing to God some failure, right? Some sin. We are to look forward to the coming uh, to the coming of Christ, right? We are to look forward to the day of Christ's returns. We we are to pray, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, come, Lord. And so there is this balance we we strike between our desire to see Christ's return, and the patient waiting to which James instructs us in our passage today. And indeed, that's what I want us to see today, that we are to patiently endure, steadfastly seeking the Lord. Patiently endure, steadfastly seeking the Lord. So let us go to the scripture and let us read out of James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. And this is the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, 
We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And this is the word of the Lord. Right, the immediate context of this passage is what we looked at last week, which is uh, where James uh, decries the evil, sinful, rich landowner, the non-Christian landowner who defrauds his workers, who commits injustice, who goes against them in court to condemn them, to throw them in jail, and he even ends with murders the righteous person, right? Whether that's actual, uh, right, literal or metaphorical, that there's some effort on the part of these rich to be done with uh, the, the faithful one, to be done with uh, the one that they should have mercy on. And so this is the immediate context. And so for what he tells these rich, right, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Right? He calls the rich to repentance. He tells them, weep now, repent now, or otherwise the miseries are coming upon you. Right? Otherwise the miseries will be yours. And as we pick back up in our passage today, what we find is an encouragement to the church. Uh, we find an encouragement to continue steadfastly, to endure patiently, because the Lord is coming again. God is going to set right all that is now wrong. Right? That's a fundamental encouragement to the church. So let's see first. In verses 7 to 8, waiting, waiting in 7 to 8. And he says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Right? What are we to do when we see the rich unjustly use their positions of power and prominence? What's the answer to that question? James says, be patient. Right? And who is James addressing here? Right? He's addressing Christians. He, he says, brothers and sisters, brothers. The church, he's addressing the church. And to these he commands patience. He commends patience. And this flies in the face of what our culture teaches. Because I'll go back and ask that question again. What are we to do when we see the rich unjustly use their positions of power and prominence? What's the answer to that question in our culture? Well, often it's something like, right? Riot! Riot, scream, right? Shout, fight back, overthrow, declare independence. Right? We're to do these things, right? We're to attack, not be patient. Right? We're to have action, fight back. And rather than the action of fighting back, James says that we have the action of waiting. Of patience uh, and understand that patient waiting is active it is activity this is not a call to do nothing uh, especially in our country there are legitimate mechanisms by which we can change that which is unjust and i think not a small example of that has been uh, the overturn of roe v wade 
there was unjust murder of babies in our culture. And now that has, at least at the federal level, been reverted. And there's still a lot more work to do. Because there are some states within our within our union, right, that, that believe that children should be, should be murdered. And that if you don't feel like having a child, well, go ahead and kill it. Right? And that's not the rhetoric we, we hear, right, in our, in our conversation, in our culture, right? It's about choice. What's well, my choice? Uh, right? It's, it's, it's my body. And so I, I should get to choose what happens in my body, right? Coaching it in terms, couching that, that discussion in, in certain terms to get an emotional response because who wants to disagree with, right? It's my body. I should get to decide what I'd want to do with it. That sounds right. Uh, but when it intersects with the life of another, we have to bring in other considerations, don't we? Uh, but at any rate, uh, so we have mechanisms within our culture. We can, we can try and change unjust schemes and systems. There are legitimate ways to do that. And, and, and this is what we ought to do as Christians. But, and this is fundamental, we are to patiently wait. We may not see the kinds of injustices unraveled and unrolled uh, in our culture and in our world that we want to. Because there are large issues uh, there are huge issues. Uh, there are countries that are filled with nothing but injustice, right? I, I think of a place like North Korea, uh, where uh, it is uh, illegal and the, the state owns everything, right? And you're lucky if you have enough food to eat. Uh, and, and the state doesn't care, right? Because it's all to support and prop up uh, this idea of a person who is a god. So there is injustice, and we may not always have a means, a legitimate mechanism to affect uh, change in that. And so fundamentally, we wait, and fundamentally, the reason for our patience is what? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Here's the reason for our patience. Jesus is returning. We're to be patient until the return of the Lord. And this word coming, right, coming of the Lord, uh, coming in in the Greek, in the secular usage, was like, uh, is is the word that they would use about the emperor's arrival. So when the emperor was uh, arriving somewhere, he was coming in, right? That doesn't have that same uh, pull to us in our English, right? It just seems, uh, okay, coming and going, like, right, everybody does that. But no, this was a, a royal term. And we're not waiting for a human emperor. We're waiting for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We wait for Jesus Christ to return and to set right what is now wrong. This is what we are to patiently wait for. And listen to this out of Revelation 19. Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16. Let's see part of the description of what Christ's return is going to look like. Right. This is why we wait. This is what we hope in. This is what we look to. Revelation nineteen eleven through 16. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What do we see in that description? Right? Do you notice all the names there we have for this one? Faithful, true, a name we don't even know, a name the Word of God, a name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what does Jesus do? In righteousness, he judges and makes war. In righteousness, he treads out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. In righteousness, he will rule and reign over all his creation. And all injustice will cease. Why? Right, Because from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. By the way, that includes ours. Why don't we, let's think through this, right? Why don't we hope in the future of America, right? Why don't we set our hope in the future of this country? Because guess what? On the day when Christ returns, he's going to strike down the United States of America. He's going to end it. Why? Because we are an unjust nation. And I'm not saying this like, okay, let's overthrow our leaders and establish uh, some kind of uh, Christian uh, theocracy, because I don't think that's something that uh, actually would ever work, right? It's not something that actually would ever work. And perhaps we might argue, and we could argue, uh, that though we are unjust in a lot of areas, that this is kind of the, the best that we can do as humanity, uh, and that itself is a sad statement, right? That this is the best we can do as humanity. All right? We don't hope in this as our country. As Christians, we don't put our hope that this is our final glory. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We may live here, but this is not our home. We have to realize that. We have to remember that. We have to believe and understand who Christ is and what he is looking for. And understand that Christ is coming and he will reign and rule with righteousness and justice. And so all the injustice we see, the wicked who are in the upper echelons, the wicked rich who use their positions of power and prominence and priority for their own selfish ends. They will be cut down. They will be dealt with. We may suffer at their hands now, but they will suffer in the hands of God hereafter. Christ will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
and none shall escape God's wrath. And what does this have to do with being patient? Why should we wait for the coming of the Lord? Right? God is going to set these things right. Jesus is keeping count. Christ knows the injustices that you face. And he doesn't look away from those things. But he is going to fiercely set them right. This is what Paul understands when he writes in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Romans 12, 19 through 21. Beloved, never. Listen to this. Beloved, because this isn't the, this isn't the advice we get from the world, right? Beloved. Children, as you, uh, as you grow up and people around you do rotten, mean things to you. How do you respond? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Lord will repay. That's your hope, right? That's what you hope in. That's what you wait for. That's what you are patient unto. And in the meantime, Paul says, right, overcome evil with good. Too often when we fight against injustice in our culture, too often when we see that happen, right, what do we do? We use violence, war, hurt, division. But Christian, as you take up injustices in our culture, overcome evil with good. Don't take up evil to beat evil, because that's just as bad as the first evil. Right? The ends do not justify the means, meaning we can't do whatever we we want to to arrive at the end that is good. Because if we use evil means to achieve a good end, we have failed to do the good end. Right? That's what the scripture tells us. It's not what our culture tells us, it's what the scripture tells us. And who do we listen to? God or our culture? Who should we listen to? But be patient, persevere, hold fast. Right? And James gives us an image to go along with this. And that's part of the reason why we like the book of James so much, right? Is he's often interspersing these commands, these issues with these images. And he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the light rains. And that last part there is in reference to uh, the rain cycle of a portion of Israel. Uh, So those whom he is writing to would understand that. Uh, But we understand, right? We need rain. You need rain for uh, the crops to grow. And so the farmer is patient, right? What does the farmer do? He plants and then he waits. And I know he does stuff in between time, right? He's going to tend to it as best that he can. Uh, He's going to uh, make sure that it's weeded and fertilized. These days, right, we don't just wait for the rains, right? We irrigate, we water. 
But most of all, what does the farmer do? He waits. He waits for the fruit of the earth. And who sends the rains? God does, right? It is God who does this. Uh, Joel 2.23 says, Joel 2.23, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. Right, Joel, they're describing how God is blessing his people once again. And what does that blessing look like? It looks like rain. Because understand that, uh, and we're kind of removed from this. Uh, we don't really depend so much on the rain as much as we uh, think, because we go to the grocery store, right? And we find the vegetables and fruit there that we want when we want them, typically. Now, we may recognize that there hasn't been the early and the late rains, as it were, because sometimes we go to buy those vegetables and we're like, wow, that is very expensive. I'm not paying that much for that, right? Because because rains weren't done, because some kind of uh, uh, drought has happened or some other disaster, uh, the crop short, there's a crop shortage, and so the prices are more expensive, right? So we're, we're like a step removed from what quite the... The reality is in this time, but I think we still can understand, right? That unless God blesses, unless God gives us the fruit that we need, uh, we will, we're sunk, right? We, we don't have. Uh, we'll be in want and in need. And so the blessing of God is fruitfulness. It's from the hand of God that we receive the blessings that bear fruit. And so... We patiently wait for Him. We look to Him in all things, especially when we suffer injustice at the hands of others. Right. So James is encouraging the churches that though they may suffer now, there is hope. There is fruitfulness coming. There is blessing. Right. He continues in verse 8, You also be patient. Right. Just as the farmer is patient and waiting for his crop to grow, you also be patient. Wait. More than that, he says, establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Why? Why do that? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. There are some who think that as the apostles uh, wrote these things, like as James is writing this, right? James is fully expecting that Christ Jesus will return in his lifetime. And then the message that they preached didn't happen. It failed. And so we're kind of left in this quasi uh oh situation. But here's the reality. In every generation, they have thought that the Lord is coming soon. In our own generation, right? We look at the signs around us and we say, Jesus surely must be coming back soon. And James's point is not about when Christ will return. But he is showing us the certainty of Christ's return. Right? The coming of the Lord is at hand. And the reality is this. It is at hand because Christ's return is imminent. What else does Christ have to accomplish in order for him to return and to rule over all this earth. What does he need to do? 
And the answer is nothing. He needs to do nothing. He needs only wait for the Father's command, for the decree of the Lord. And then he will go forth and usher in justice and righteousness. Do you realize that? Christ has accomplished everything necessary for his return. And so it is a matter of just waiting. We would do well to remember the words of Peter in this matter. In Second Peter chapter 3. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Uh, but we, you could look at the whole of chapter 3 and have a great insight into the coming of the Lord. Uh, but uh, starting in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Right? So, so understand, right? God's conception of time is not our conception of time. We are linear and he is not. He's eternal. Right? We begin and end. He does not. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He continues, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What's the point? God is patient. All right? He is waiting for the full number of the elect to come in. All whom he has chosen will be saved. And when that day, when that day reaches its uh, point, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Right? We know from the parables of Jesus, right? If the master of the house had known when the thief was going to come, right, what would he have done? He would have stayed up all night waiting for him. He would have had a shotgun pointed at the door, right? But as it is, these come when they want to come, and we don't know when they're going to come. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord's delay is patient. The Lord's delay is a long-suffering mercy that all who should be saved will be saved, and none that God has determined to be saved will be lost. Jesus will lose none of all who are his. And then the day of the Lord will come, and it will be swift, and it will come with fire, with fury, with judgment. And so... The day of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen yourself for the work to be done. Or as it says in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed, right? Strengthen yourself. Get yourself up and ready and to the work. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you patiently waiting for the Lord? Are you entrusting to yourself, uh, yourself to Him? Are you looking forward to that day when He shall come? Will you be found enduring? And that's what I want us to see next, enduring in verse 9. Enduring. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Right? Again, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And while we patiently wait for the coming of the Lord, while we wait for God to make good that which is now evil, while we wait for God to deal with the injustices, right? When we don't avenge ourselves, but we leave room for the vengeance of God, he says we are to likewise realize that the Lord is coming. Right? Notice that. In verse 9, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And now you may say to yourself, Dale, you just said that the Lord is coming. You said it a few times now. We had a counter going, you know, it'd be ticking along. And yes, it is what I just said. But what James points us to is this. The Lord is coming back to judge everyone. Everyone. And so in our period of waiting, we are not to engage in what is frequent and common. And that is grumbling. And the word here, grumbling, that's like a groan or a sigh. And it's that exasperated sigh, right? In this context, it's that exasperated, (sighs) you know, sometimes you get that way with people. I don't know if you ever have, but I'll just confess I have. And what, is that, what does that mean? What is that grumbling? What is that groan? What is that exasperated sigh about? Well, it's about judgment, right? We're judging. We're making. We're passing a judgment on the person we're exasperated with. Which James has already addressed. If we go back to James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, right? 11 through 12 of James 4, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil... Uh, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, why would we grumble? Well, the answer to that is multitudinous, right? There's many reasons why we might grumble especially when we work alongside one another in a church, right? As we live and work alongside one another, we have the tendency, we have the the frequency to grumble, to complain. Moses, right? If you remember Moses, uh, he is the meekest of all humanity. Uh, And which may seem, we see that in the books that Moses wrote. So, you know, maybe, maybe he wasn't, no, uh, and is he writing that about himself or did someone else add that in, right? That's, that's a good question. No. Uh, but Moses, right? He's this, he's this meek man. He's this humble man. Uh, he, he, humbleness was forced upon him, pressed upon him, uh, by, by the work of God, right? Uh, he grew up in a, uh, in the king's palace, right? In Pharaoh's palace and had everything. He was probably riding high until he killed the Egyptian, and he goes out and he becomes a shepherd. Right? So he goes from the highest in society to the lowest in society. And he lives as the lowest in society, what, for four months, and then he comes back on the scene? You know, Forty years. So I think Moses learned something about meekness, humility. But Moses, he's meek. And yet time and time again, the people of Israel grumbled against him. One such occasion, Exodus 16, Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. There are many problems with this interaction here, but notice what the people of Israel say. You, Moses and Aaron, you're the cause of this. You're the one who did this. You brought us out here to kill us with hunger. You just you just wanted to see us all die. You all are sadistic psychos. How dare you, right? When, when we were back in Egypt, we had pots of meat. It was the best thing ever. You hungry? Go get you some beef jerky. That's what we could do. Now here we are in the wilderness and all we got is sand. Did Moses and Aaron bring the people out of the land of Egypt? I mean, like in one sense, we could say yes, right? They were there leading out at the front. But no, they didn't. Who brought the people out of the land of Egypt? God did, right? He did that with might and strength. He decimated the Egyptians. And the people of Israel took the gold and silver from the Egyptians and went out. They came up against the Red Sea. And Moses and Aaron said, wait, I got this great military maneuver. We, we got this. We can do this. We can defeat the Egyptian army. No, that's not what happened, right? God opened the Red Sea. And the people passed through as on dry land. God led the people out. So why are the people complaining and grumbling against Moses and Aaron? Because there they are in person. It's a lot easier to grumble against someone we see than someone we don't see in that sense, right? Ultimately, we know, right, that they're grumbling against God. Uh, They're not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And the problem with this is that it's sin, right? Such is evil judging that James writes will be brought under judgment. And he says here, right, James writes here, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. He writes, don't complain, don't grouse, don't sigh with exasperation over your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God will judge you for such. He will discipline you for such. There is penalty for such. It may not be ultimate, right? We're not talking about ultimate judgment. We're not talking about being cast into hell. If you are a brother or sister in Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are saved, and that's it. You have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. He's the propitiation for your sins, and not for your sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Right? Christ is sufficient. But we also understand that there is penalty, right? That there is uh, a loss of reward. We may survive as though through fire, as Paul writes. Right? All of our works burnt up. And we must realize, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must realize, church, that we are all sinners. We are all saved by the grace of God alone. We are at all at times, in places of weakness, fleshliness, and sinfulness. When we're in 1 Thessalonians, Paul gave us commands about uh, the community life, right? About our life in the community, our life in the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so how are we to view community life in light of 1 Thessalonians 5, right? First, he says, there is to be respect and esteem for those who are faithful shepherds. Second, he says, there is a command for peace, right? Be at peace among yourselves. Grumbling and complaining is not at being at peace. Third, there is the command to admonish, to warn the idle. Warn them. Warn them what their idleness costs. Fourth, encourage those whose strength of heart has failed. Right? Encourage those who have become discouraged. Right? Encourage the faint-hearted. Give them strength. Give them courage. Come alongside them and say, brother, sister, Hope in God. Hope in Christ. Christ is coming. Fifth, help the weak. Right? Help the weak. Help those who are immature in the faith. Help those, instead of being exasperated with them because they don't get it, help them. Right? So sometimes that's what we need, right? We need help. And it can be easy, right? And, and if you've parented children right or watched over children sometimes it's easy to become exasperated with them because it's just like why don't you get this right i get this i'm also you know 30 years older than you but i get this right i know this i understand this why can't you but instead of being exasperated with them what do you do what does a good parent do let me help you again you can't tie your shoes little jimmy let me Kneel down, let me stoop down, and let me show you again. And I'm going to show you again and again. I'm going to help work your little hands until you get it. That's what parents do, right? That's what we in the church should do. Instead of becoming exasperated and say, Ah, I can't stand him. He always gets it wrong. Come alongside and help. Six, be patient with them all. Right? He says, be patient with them all. Bear with them all. Bear with them with long-suffering. Right? Suffer along with them. Endure all things. That's what love requires of us. Right? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love endures all things. Seventh, do good to one another. Not repaying the wrongs committed against us with more wrongs. Right? Overcome evil with good. And why should we do all these things? Verse 9 tells us, Behold, look, see now, the judge is standing at the door. And this picture is something like, you know, when children are fighting and complaining against one another, when they're, when they're yelling at each other, and mom and dad show up, right, what happens? Oh, we weren't doing anything, right? We, we, were, we were fine. We were being perfect. We were just talking, right? We were just sharing. Nothing, nothing is going on here until they leave again, right? And then it's punches and wrestles and all that, right? But if you've ever had the sweet satisfaction as a parent to creep up at the door, to stand there and watch them and observe and hear everything that's going on, and then you make your presence known, and then when they lie to you and say, no, no, we weren't doing anything, 
And you can say, I heard everything. I saw everything. I know everything. You can't hide from me. And then you get that sweet satisfaction to right, watch them squirm as they uh, try and figure out what they're going to do. And then maybe you punish or, you know, do, do the right parental thing from there. Well, God stands at the door. The judge is near. He's not a million miles away. He's at the door. He's standing at the door. And what's he got to do? Just to open it and come in. The judge is at the door. And what will he find you doing? And that, brothers and sisters in Christ, should put some fear in us. That should make us reevaluate what we do. We should be patient with one another. We should endure with one another. We need to not grumble and complain about one another. And understand, we may not have that so much in here. But what about those Christians in other churches? Right? I, I sometimes talk about other churches in, in, this, in a general sense, not in a specific sense, uh, but in a general sense that uh, they don't preach the gospel. Is that grumbling against them? I might, I might have to be careful about that, right? But for those who are faithful, for those who are really saved, we can't grumble about them. They, not, they may not believe the same thing we believe. They not be, may not believe it in the way that we believe it. But if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he is one of theirs, do not grumble. Do not complain. And by the way, before we pick out the sins in other churches or in other people, take the log out of our own eye. That's what Jesus tells us, right? Um, or heard this before about uh, preaching the gospel, evangelizing. My method of evangelizing is better than your method of not evangelizing. I may not have it all right, but it's better than not. I'm not saying that about myself, by the way. But some have said that, right? We, we have to understand. We have to see. We have to be patient with one another. God stands at the door. In our waiting and our enduring, we will be blessed. So let's see that finally. Verses 10 through 11, blessed. Uh, James continues and writes, right, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, again, to the church, to the Christians, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, right? James reminds us what that what we are to do as Christians is not extraordinary. It's not extraordinary, right? It's not extra. It's ordinary. It's what every Christian is supposed to do. Right? Bearing with suffering and patience, this is what the faithful of God have always done. We could look to Hebrews chapter 11, for instance. We could go through the hall of faith there and see how time and time again, those who were God's faithful endured. They suffered. They were patient. They were looking for and longing for a city that, that, that is not their own. They were sojourners. They were passing through. And the end of the book of Hebrews actually gives us quite a lot of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 11, gives us quite a lot of vivid, uh, vivid language. Uh, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That sounds like a winning way to to get people in, right? Come join Christ. You'll be sawn in two. Maybe we should make some cards about that. No, but right, what we see of the faithful of God, right? they have suffered and they endured with patience. These faithful men and women of old suffered and patiently waited for the work of the Lord, for the promise of the Lord. And they are an example to us. And for their suffering, they received the blessings of God. Right? They received a home that is better than any this world can offer. They may not have had a peaceful life, but they do have an eternal life. And so he says in verse 11, uh, James writes, Behold, right? Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Right? What has James already written about steadfastness? Those who remain steadfast will receive the crown of life. That's James 1, right? And he gives us another example here, right? He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Right? We have another example, Job. Have you heard about the purpose of the Lord in Job's life? To show compassion and mercy. And if we read through the first part of the book of Job, we I don't know that we see God being compassionate and merciful, right? we were just to look at that on on face value we would probably not say well this is an example of god's compassionate mercy and yet it is and we have the latter part of the book of job Uh, job understands that god is compassionate merciful because he doesn't attribute evil to god he doesn't curse god he doesn't say god uh you have done all this and that's just wrong um Right, it's a complicated, it's a complicated book, uh, but I want us to think of uh, the compassionate mercy of God, as as James tells us about here. Right at the end, Job forty two, five through six, Job forty two five through six, Job says, "I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." Job sees the Lord and understands his compassionate and mercy. His compassionate mercy. But Job also finds in faith and faithfulness to God that there are many blessings. Job 42.10 And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Do you see the blessings that come with steadfastness? Now lest we get too far right it doesn't always mean that we'll receive the blessings here on earth Uh, but we will receive the blessings of god in the hereafter we may see god's compassion and mercy in our earthly life and we will only fully realize it when we join him in eternity of this we must be assured in second corinthians 4 17 to 18 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You have to be assured of that. So James writes to a church in hardship, especially under the hardship of living in an unjust society. Right? There are rich, there are rich people who are defrauding them, who are withholding from them their pay. There are rich who are taking them to court over. Uh, uh, under spurious accusations there are these who are unjust and evil and practicing unrighteousness and he writes to this church 
And he tells them, persevere, be patient, endure, hold together, because the day of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. James writes to us. He writes to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he writes to remind you of these same things because he wants you to endure in the midst of life's trials. Right? What does he open up his letter with in chapter 1, verses 2 and 5? 2 through 5. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Be steadfast. There's blessing in steadfastness. And if you lack the wisdom that you need to meet the, the various trials of life, Go to God and ask Him. He's generous. He's compassionate and merciful. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Pray to Him and ask Him for the wisdom that you need, for the power of the Holy Spirit that you need to endure, to meet those trials, to remain steadfast, to patiently wait. And this is the task of the Christian, to patiently wait. Right? We are to wait for the coming of the Lord. We are to wait for God to bring to an end the wicked and to establish his kingdom forever with us at his side. We are to wait for God to bring his righteous judgment to bear on all who have turned from him, all who have oppressed and harassed us who are outside of the family of God. We are to wait as Job did and understand that God's purpose towards you, beloved, is one of compassion and mercy. And understand that sometimes it may be difficult to see that. Sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by our enemies. And we may think that God has forsaken us, but he hasn't. Because even if we don't have eyes to see him, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He reminds us that he is near. Beloved, understand that the worst of this life is the worst you will ever experience. You have an eternal weight of glory that will eclipse all of these light and momentary afflictions. And that's not always easy to believe. And so we ought pray as that father did when he asked uh, Jesus for a miracle. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And in this period of waiting, it remains for you to be steadfast, to endure, to patiently wait these things out. Remain faithful to the Lord. Hold to Him as He holds to you. James wrote earlier, right, in 4, the 4, 8a, uh, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. The Lord God, the judge, is coming. And guess what? He is nearer today than He was yesterday. And would you be found ready at His coming? And for some of you, you need to hear this not as an encouragement to continue, but as a warning to stop. Some of you need to stop your evil ways. You need to turn from your sins and you need to wait for the, wait upon the Lord. You have not been steadfastly waiting for Him because you have no care for the Lord, which is evident in the way you live your life. Understand this, that the judge is standing at the door. He is coming. And you may think you have many years left to spend on your sinful desires. You may think that like the rich man uh, in James 5, that you can get away uh, with everything and that your will is supreme. But understand this, Christ Jesus is coming. And this time when he comes, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. 
He's not coming into the household of Joseph and Mary. No, he is coming as a conquering king. He will come with fierceness. He'll come with a sword in his mouth that will strike down the nations of this earth. He will come and gather his people to his side. Because here's the reality, friend. Your sin demands repayment. Your sinfulness demands judgment. All the evil that you think or say or do demands recompense, repayment. And God will have it. You've committed high treason against the holy God. Do you think you will escape him? No, you will suffer the punishment of your sins as surely as Christ shall come again. But Christ Jesus has already come before. He has come once already and he came in that time to pay the penalty for his people's sins. He came to defeat sin and death. He came to subdue the works of Satan, even as one day he will come again to put an end to Satan's reign for all eternity. And what remains for you is to turn to him. And so look to Christ Jesus and believe in him. Trust that his work on the cross is sufficient for you to pay for your sins. Place your trust in him as the son of God and you will be saved. Call out to him and he will save you. Turn from your sins, repent of them, and turn to Christ Jesus today. He is the only one who can save you. And then, patiently endure. Wait, endure, and find the blessings of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit. God, that your Holy Spirit would come upon those who uh, do not know you. Father, that they would see their sins maybe for the very first time, that they would see and understand them with, uh, in, in full reality for the first time. God, that they would understand that they have sinned against you and that in their sin they, they deserve justice, judgment. And oh Lord God, we pray that they would hear the message of the good news of Christ Jesus, that they can be saved, they can be forgiven of their sins, they can be reconciled unto you. And Lord God, we pray that that message is uh, renewed upon us this morning. We who do believe, Father, that, that we would patiently endure, hold fast to you, as you hold fast to us. Lord, that we would worship you, that we would honor you as we ought, that we would not take matters into our own hands, but we would wait upon you. Oh God, give us wisdom to understand what this means. Father God, help us to understand uh, what it means to endure to strengthen our hearts, for Christ is coming. And we pray, Lord, that you would send Christ again. Father, that all this this evil that we see around us, the wickedness we see around us, that it would be dealt with. Father, for the wickedness we see uh, committed against your church and against your name and other and other nations would be dealt with. So come, Lord Jesus. Set right what is wrong. 
deal with our sin and give us those new glorified bodies which will never sin again. Oh Lord God, we pray these things. We pray these things in the name of He who is alone our Savior, Jesus. Amen.